Weirdo Bookworms Unite! We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Fans of horror, sci-fi, fantasy, and more can stop by as we chat about what we've been reading. Good evening, friends, and welcome to another installment of Genre Junkies, the best podcast, maybe the only podcast, the best podcast for genre-loving bookworms. So tonight, we're going to talk about a fantasy book. I'm your host, Sandra, with me as always. And Scott, of course. Hey, Scott. And we're joined again by that Star Wars nerd, but this is not Star Wars, (laughs) so don't be confused, Amanda. Hey, everybody. Amanda does like pretty much all genre things, though she's not a horror fan, um, but she's a huge, huge fantasy fan as well. Oh, yeah. Bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it on. So tonight, we're going to talk about kind of two books. We're going to talk about the Three Dark Crowns, One Dark Throne books by the amazing, in my opinion, Kendar Blake. So we're going to do our format pretty similarly to how we always do. Our first half will be spoiler-free. We're going to basically talk about the first book, since that is kind of the world building and what we're getting into. Then we're going to take a break, and we're going to talk completely openly with spoilers about the first and second books in this, what appears to be a series? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I get the impression it's going to be a trilogy. Actually, the last thing I read is that it's going to be a quartet. Oh, oh, I think that that's she's great. She's planning to write a, the, the, the third book, I believe, is at least in draft stage with the publisher, and that a fourth one is planned, plus a series of novellas, which <gasps> will be published, I think, probably digitally mostly, but that's the book, The Queens of Fenburn, that's coming out in spring of next year. That's actually a compilation of two novellas. The, uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, The Young Queens and The Oracle Queen. <gasps> that's my understanding, anyway, at this point. Some tentative titles they've thrown out there f- to, keep the people, yeah, yeah, yeah. to keep people excited. Are they supposed to take place in in the past then? So The Young or? Queens is the story of uh, Arsinoe, Mirabella and I'm sure we'll get into the rest of this, but Arsinoe, Mirabella and Catherine when they were small small children okay. until the time when they get separated. And then the Oracle Queen, I'm not sure which queen that's about but uh, sounds very exciting. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, that'll be cool. Maybe, yeah, that'll be really cool. I'm very excited. Of course, um, this book was originally kind of sold to everybody as a duology and then I guess it did so well I was a little afraid that it's like, you know, are they making her squeeze out more books? But no, she clearly has this world planned and has more stories. So I think Mm -hmm. that's awesome that they didn't hamstring her. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let's get into it. Let's start with the synopsis of the first book, One Dark Throne. Our story takes place on the island of Fenburn. Fenburn is a goddess-worshipping matriarchy. Every generation, the ruling queen gives birth to triplet daughters. The girls will all possess mastery over a type of magical skill. And when they come of age, only one can be queen. And to do so, she must kill her sisters. <laughs> so it's already already a pretty dark synopsis. Right? Yeah, I, yeah, I would 100% qualify this as dark fantasy, which is my favorite type of fantasy, where it's, 
yeah, it, there's a darkness, there's a sinister enus. It is definitely not horror, but there's a darkness to the story, which a lot of fairy tales and a lot of fantasy have dark elements. That's true. I kind of struggled with trying to to typify what the feeling is in this book. I I almost wanted to say it's spooky, but it's not quite that. It, right. It's not like there's jump scares or yeah, like big fiery balrog demons no it's just this this like lush atmosphere of this sort of prevalent darkness and even the most lighthearted parts of the book because the premise is just so so richly um bad (laughs) it's dark (laughs) like there's there's no other way i can think of it and this is again this is like a drinking game episode every time we (laughs) say dark uh take a shot but it's hard to think of another word for it it's like dark romantically beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's got that dark romance vibe for sure. So I'm kind of glad that we have got that established. One of the things I love about these books is the girl power element to it. And she introduces it so blasé. Like, it's not like, hey, look at this cool feminist stuff I did where it's a matriarchy and they're goddess worshippers. It's just established and it just is. Right. They they never have that sliders moment where you're like, wait, what? We're in a female-dominated society? And it's not a patriarchy? Like, there's never that shock value moment. It's simply presented as a society that exists as it is and without any real question as to whether there's moral right or wrong to it. I agree. I found it to be fairly subtle at first, and it wasn't until really until the second book that it really hit me of just how powerful of a feminist book this is. Yeah, I'm laughing because Scott is a very good feminist, but it's just like funny that it's like, oh, it was subtle, where it's like Amanda and I and all the other girls who've read is like, not subtle. We we did a conga line. We danced. We drank because it was amazing. It was amazing. (laughs) But I but I think the subtlety, though, speaks to just the skill of of simply it being what it is like she doesn't make any apologies for it she's not trying to uh, i don't know prove something it doesn't feel that way it doesn't feel like there's an agenda it's simply this is the way this world operates have either of you ever read a genre book that is similar with that sort of really female powerful matriarchy it's monophilic you know when there's yeah. one god, but it's a it, it's a yeah, girl. Monothe- yeah, mono- it's monotheism. But I'm there not we sure go. How you, <laughs> yeah, uh, we how got you bring it. Bring that into the feminine. Well, we got that. Of you guys get the idea. Anyway, have you guys ever read any genre stuff that is like that? Have you? I mean, there's certainly a lot of genre fiction that I've read that's very like female empowerment or female forward. But there's almost yeah. always, you know, it's always hung on the skeleton of things we know, which is it. You know, usually there's a king that rules or. Whatever it, it, it's, you know, I haven't. The only closest thing I can think of. I know I exactly, I know exactly what you're going to say. Witches of Dathomir. We both thought you were going to talk about the Witches of Dathomir in Star Wars. <laughs> no, oh my goodness, no! I mean, that's like a given. If you don't know that that's what's going on, then um, I don't know. Look elsewhere, people. No, I mean, obviously, I was going to talk about that one episode of the Adventures of Briscoe County Junior, where yes. they go into. <laughs> They go into an entirely female-dominated town in the Old West. They call it No Man's Land. It's excellent. There are no men. It's a great episode of a great show. I'm not saying that it's excellent because there are no men. It's just excellent and there are no men. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit here about our experience reading this book. I'll start. 
Sandra, why um, don't you start? Well, hey, thanks. My experience for me in our kind of way that we talk about things, you can always look that up on our website. Uh, for me, this was a page turner. I don't know that I'm obsessed yet. I think that I will eventually be able to have the experience of being obsessed with these books. But for me right now, solid page turner. When I first started Three Dark Crowns, uh, I had some trouble with it. As you'd expect, there's a lot of setup for the world and it's all really unique and really new. Uh, By the end, though, I couldn't put it down and it became a solid page turner. Uh, But a year later, One Dark Throne grabbed the hooks that the first book left in me and just kept pulling I could not put this book down. It absolutely was an obsession. I love hearing that. Amanda, how about you? I Same. I mean, my experience of reading it was that I, I, I didn't read the first one until the second one was already out. So I read the first one and then I, I could not wait. I immediately <laughs> bought the e-book version of it. And as soon as I finished that first book, just started reading the first chapter of the second book. I, I could not put it down. I my, my score itself is also a page turner, but... It's almost toward obsession. Like we're getting there. Yeah, like, like me. Like, like it will be. We're getting there. Like by the time the fourth book comes out, I anticipate um, rereading I, all the books. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. cosplay this thing. It's, <laughs> this is happening. I'm designing the tattoo as we speak. <laughs> you know, and yeah, yeah, that's that's it's that unique character to the story uh, that j- it just you it you, like you said it, it just sinks its hooks in and grabs you. <laughs> um, I read this book, the first book, when it first came out, and I loved it, and I. I urged Scott to read it, took him a couple months, but then he read it. And then um, Amanda reads a lot, you know, like we all read a lot. And she kept being like, I will read it. I will read it. So then I just always have too many in my queue. I got (laughs) to downsize. I pushed, I literally pushed the copy into her hands. And I was like, okay, read this. And before I could even loan her my copy of the second book, she's like, I'm almost done with it. Like, (laughs) I I literally could not put it down. Definitely a page turner. So I want to talk a little bit about characters. Let's, since we're talking about this world building stuff, let's um, let's kind of introduce you to what you're getting into with this because we keep saying, oh, it, it's different. It's all this stuff. Let, let's give you examples here of what we're talking about. <laughs> so our three queens, and they are queens. They are not princesses. They are queens. Another awesome element. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. They, yeah. They just get away from that in, that that trope entirely. Yeah, they're, they're mm-hmm. not in waiting. They are all three queens. Yeah. For sure. So when they're, I believe it's when they're six years old is when they get taken away to the three big major factions of the island because they go with the people that have the power that they are the masters of. So we have Mirabella. She's the oldest of the triplets. Um, She's really beautiful. I mean, obviously they all look alike, but Mm -hmm. I mean, like her beauty is renowned and she is an elemental. Elementals, you know, you've we've all kind of read those in different fantasy things. People who literally control like the elements. It's a badass power. It is. Um, the elementals all kind of live 
in this one area, which is very centered around the major temple. It, it has more to do with the politics of the story that the uh, high priestess yes. of the, the religion there on the island, uh, she moves her kind of base of operations and the majority of the priestesses from the temple there to the elemental city once yeah. Mirabella um, kind of comes forward. Right. Because they that's the horse they want to back. <laughs> right, right. Um, so that's kind of the world she's brought up in is probably the most the most uh kind of religious mm-hmm. sort of area. Uh just real quick, what do you guys think about um elementals and Mirabella? Well, I mean, let's just for a second, like, explain how cool elemental power is. I mean, please, Amanda, take it. More or less, it goes without saying. If you obviously, if you're in any way a genre junkie, you're going to kind of understand that immediately. She has power over water, fire. Um, It's it's really very, in this world, weather centric. There's like trees and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But it's for, for that particular power. It's like a lot of lightning and storms. At least that's her particular gift. She really specializes in that. (laughs) I specialize in this because she is as the queen elemental she is like the most elementally elemental yeah and she actually can also do earthquakes too let's say like the earth air fire water part of it she can also shake the ground well i like how as weird as it sounds to say this almost realistic the elementalist power is more so another fantasy that you've read it's it not, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely it's, it's not throwing lightning bolts from your fingers it's <laughs> no. summoning a lightning fine. storm yeah, yeah it's it's grounded I, <laughs> it's sort of a weird way to say it but yeah it's grounded in kind it, of a reality real, yeah like realistic yeah you guys like mirabella i i like mirabella me I, too to be honest spoiler alert love all of them but same z's <laughs> But I do like Mirabella, though. Uh, Mirabella starts out as my least favorite. Okay, by by far my least favorite for a lot of people. But I've come around. I've come around quite a bit. I I like her very much now. But I I think she's kind of the spoiled one to start with. She's the one that everybody's always whispered she'll be queen. Yeah, because her gift came out strong when she was a child, and so she's extremely powerful. Even for a queen, she's extremely powerful. She She, has a gift that is renowned. It is not then elemental this powerful has not been seen in like hundreds of years she is extraordinary which is why the priestesses come up there to sort of be like hey hey we're with this one (laughs) yeah Uh, like we got this one this is ours um and from the very beginning so she has been treated like the queen that would be crowned since she was at least six years old i don't necessarily think she's spoiled brat no um, but it's sort of always been in her life a given with with positive and negative to that that she would be the one to triumph at the end that's been kind of the premise of the her chosen life. one yeah sort the of chosen thing. one exactly so then we have middle sister arsenault mm-hmm. which is a cool name it's a cool name and she is a naturalist naturalists they give us like all the food on the island <laughs> right but their big thing is animals everybody kind of has a familiar well not everybody but if you're like a strong naturalist you have a familiar an animal that is with you your whole life and you're all like you kind of complete each other it sounds a lot almost like demons from historic materials think of it kind of like that it only does. they don't talk yeah and it's in this is kind of to what scott was saying before where it's all sort of grounded it's sort of realistic 
it, they're not, you know, it's it's not necessarily your soul outside of your body <laughs> the way that a demon well, might yeah. be. But it's, you have this, like, intuition, this emotional connectivity. You, you complete with, each other. Yeah, exactly. It's, you are always feeling what the other one feels and you sort of act out of your shared bank of emotions and thoughts. And it's not that you can directly communicate with each other. Like, yeah. not truly, like, within words. Just, <laughs> like, you oh, understand sorry. each other. Yeah. yeah. Camden just said something funny, please. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody carry on. Yeah, sorry. Private inside joke between uh, my cougar and I. Right. Yeah. Which, is, which is also an awesome <laughs> thing in a lot of genre fiction, but it's yeah. not the case here. The, not it's here. better for it in this case. Uh, Arsenault is a tomboy. Uh, oh, yeah. She likes to keep her hair short. She likes to wear, like, vests and trousers. She's very rough and tumble. In a way, I, can I say that she also, she sort of typifies the naturalist spirit. Um, she grows up in Wolf Spring. I guess we should say that Mirabella is in Rolanth, I believe. Yeah. That's the elemental city. She grows up in Wolf Spring, which sounds, it's as fierce as it sounds like. it's. I think it's almost taken, like, some, from sort of a waterfront, you know, the American ideal of, like, what a London <laughs> place would have been in, like, the late 19th century. Everybody is kind of tough and is sort of scrappy but there's a strong <laughs> sense of like family and continuity there too so she she really kind of embodies the strength and the fierceness of who those sort of people are they're very are. free they are very free people yeah. they don't get into the political games as much mm-hmm. uh scott talk to us about arsenault and naturalists well, first of all, my favorite part about naturalists is just how they interact with all of the animals around them. Yeah. You know, they don't they don't fish. They convince the fish to come up into the boat to be eaten. <laughs> Scott, as a fisherman, paid particular attention to that. Yeah. Always. But I like Arsinoe because she's definitely the, the most realistic of the three queens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She pretty much assumes that she's going to die. She has she's never really imagined being queen. She doesn't want to be queen. She right. just kind of wants to live her simple life. Yeah, it's established from the very first time you see Arsinoe that her gift is extremely weak. Her familiar has not shown up yet. Um, now, sometimes, and they, they say this fairly early on too, sometimes it just comes later. This whole business about the queen sort of fighting it out, that happens when you're 16. Yeah, so she doesn't she, have much time. Yeah, so it's kind of like, I can't really be a late bloomer. Um, I need I need my animal here to fight with me. Mm-hmm. Really cool. I mean, we're gonna talk later about what faction we would belong in. We're we're not there yet. Heck yes. I'm glad you guys like Arsenal. There's yeah. nothing to dislike about her. Yeah. And last but certainly not least is little Catherine. Little Catherine is a poisoner. You heard that right, people. Poison. <laughs> if I can just jump in right, ne- right now, I think the poisoners are the most unique and interesting yes. Yes. gift. I've never read a fantasy book where there is a faction of poisoners. No. It's totally out of left field and just delicious. I loved it. Yes. These people have a supernatural ability to withstand poisons and venoms and toxicity. They are almost sometimes kind of chemists with mm-hmm. the way they mix things to, you know, trick and get to their enemies, like through poisoning them in different ways. They are cunning people. They are dark. They are, they are dark. They're kind of passionate, but cold and just 
always plotting, always thinking they like being in charge of Fenburn. That's Absolutely. where they're happy. Uh, what's the name of their city? Uh, they're, well, they're in Indrid Down, which yeah. is the capital city of the island. Yes. Their poisoner city is actually a place called Prin. But because I think you were getting to this, but because the last three queens of the island, the last three generations have all been poisoner queens. Yeah. The poisoners have taken over the capital they city. They have a lot of power. There is, in besides the temple and, of course, the queen, the other power on the island and at this point the strongest power on the island is the black council and everything by the way is black here everything has i mean literally a darkness to it like the black color is of the this... queen's gown is black yeah that's the, the queen's color they're only allowed yeah. to wear black their hair is black their eyes are black there's um it, it, that's the sacred color of this space which is also just sort of a weird kind of way to look at the world and really delightfully different it's gothic and beautiful and it yes. sets my dark heart on fire that's what it is there's a there's a gothic kind of element here and i I wouldn't want to just like paint it that way but that's kind of what it brings forward um scott talk to us about poisoners and Catherine. first of all the poisoners also have another side they're Mm. also herbalists and healers they yes yes yes. they basically just have an innate ability to understand anything that grows or any kind of toxin or chemical so so they have amongst the poisoners there are healers there are killers of course the errands who are the the leading family of poisoners the ones who are raising little Catherine. they definitely are very much on the poison side now Catherine also has a very weak gift she's Mm -hmm. and her personality is she's shy she's meek she's She's reserved yeah they say several times she's sweet like she's she's sweet she's she's poisoners are not supposed to be sweet poisoners are not supposed to be sweet they see sweetness meekness shyness as total weakness and especially in the Aaron family that is not to be born they continually poison her to try and make her gift awaken which of course it won't but she's been eating poison her entire and and like having poison rubbed on her skin her entire life so she's scarred um she's chronically underweight because she's constantly puking up everything she eats (laughs) she was always the the littlest triplet anyway they say but with all this prolonged exposure to poisons (laughs) it has built up her tolerance but it's made her physically um just not very robust (laughs) As you can imagine. And like Arsenault, she's kind of been raised with this Mirabella is the chosen one. We two are just born to die sure. at her hand. With the exception, of course, because the poisoners are sort of the big, big power in the in the island. And it should also be said that when the queen is crowned, the queen is the ruler of the island. And she appoints people to the Black Council, which is why the poisoners have such a strong presence on there. Uh, yeah, they're like, we're pretty used to three generations of running this show yeah. on Fenburn. Right. They're kind of hoping if they can get Catherine crowned that there will be a dynasty. I think she says it like early on in the book and that maybe in the future any triplets that are born they'll just drown anything that's not a poisoner and just put the poisoner on the throne. (laughs) Hey, makes sense in poisoner world. But so in the especially in regards to the errands that's where the politics of the story start to really come into play which I think is super interesting and it makes it even more kind of human and relatable because it's like ah this is this is a part of the world that unfortunately I can be very familiar with but the the errands the 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 one who actually has mostly raised her her name is natalia aaron she's the head of the aaron family because again ladies are the heads of the family she's she's sort of a, she's 
she's a surrogate mother to Catherine, and uh, so she's she's been trying to get her, like you said, her poisoner gift awakened. She's been trying to empower Catherine, and when it sort of is becoming clear that it, her, if her gift is going to awaken, it's going to be probably after it's too late, or it's it's already there and it's just so weak you can't really notice it. She's going to put her on the throne anyway. She's going to figure out a way to get her on the throne anyway, because the errands cannot be beaten. Right. They're kind of like Lannister Slytherins. <laughs> a little bit. That's great. Yeah, sorry. We're just throwing um all these just, different fantasy yeah. things at you. So there's another character that I feel is worth mentioning, um, and that's Jules, mm-hmm. who is Arsena's best friend. Strong naturalist, always has been. She has her familiar named Camden, who is a cougar we were kind of joking about earlier. She's really cool. And she's kind of like this sworn protector bodyguard of Arsenal and has been her whole life. Very cool because it's a girl, girl, really powerful bond. Right. Which in a lot of books, you, this would be a boy that would be her protector. Yeah, it's, it's Arthur and Lancelot. It's it's the classic kind of story there. It's one of them is, you know, chosen by God or whatever. <laughs> and then the other one is the sworn, uh, you know, first knight. It's, it's, it's that kind of thing. And, and uh, also in that particular world in the naturalist society most people have birds and maybe dogs if they're stronger with the gift it's kind of like the physical presence of your familiar sort of indicates how much strength you have in the force well yeah like because some people do have like ferrets and things yeah there's somebody with i think a seal yeah (laughs) which is is. awesome because i mean they're a waterfront town so it makes sense but uh yeah but so so god would love that he'd love to have a seal yeah so when jules shows up and her gift is strong from the time she's a kid and they're the same age they're almost i think they're maybe have the same birth date her and the triplets are more particularly arsenal so when her familiar comes up and it's this cougar cub cougar cub i'm sorry everybody's like whoa uh, okay. Her? Okay. <laughs> okay. So she has a lot of clout. Her family is like the major family. That's why, you know, obviously they're raising Arsenal. But again, kind of like I said, like they like to just kind of be and live and let live in the naturalist world. They're not, I mean, of course they want a naturalist to rule, but they're not really interested in a lot of like the political games. Right. And I think also because Arsenal didn't have a strong like presence out the gate when she was a little kid. They just never never really put much stock in her. They've sort of just raised her as another member of the family. Um, she knows she's a queen, and she knows the consequences of being a weak queen, but nobody really wants to talk about it very much. Is that right? Yeah. No. Well, Scott, did you have something to say about Jules? So the people of Wolf Spring, they want Arsinoe to live because they want Arsinoe to live. They yeah. all love Arsinoe. Whereas the Aarons want Catherine to live because they can't afford to lose the crown. Mm-hmm. And the... Um, the people of Rolanth and the, the, the Westwoods. Ro- mm-hmm. Exactly. They want they want Mirabella to win because she's the chosen one and that will put them back into power. Absolutely. So they're as- one, one, one is aspirational. One is desperation. The other one, they just love her. Yeah. It's just really cool. And she's she's very easy to love. She's um she's outgoing. She's funny. She's like our little comedic relief, really. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah, because she she's got a very um sort of simple sense of humor about her fate, or at least what she perceives it's going to be. I don't want to get into too much of a spoiler thing with this, but there's like some relationships. There's like some real kind of romantic y things going on. Mm-hmm. It's very almost 
secondary, maybe even tertiary to the major plot of it. Most and of it, them anyway. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, but that's going on. Was there any other characters that really stood out that you guys wanted to mention? I just want to point out that even though the entire book is filled with very strong women and the whole story is about a a feminist matriarchal society, the men are still important characters. They're just not Rulers. main characters. Yeah. Yeah. They're, oh, yeah. They're not sidelined or thought of as, oh, it's just a man who cares about his <laughs> he, opinion. They're he not is subservient. Yeah, they're it, just it's not. It, they're just simply the not. The focus. Yeah, not not the focus, and they simply don't have you know sort of head of household legal privileges. I guess <laughs> like it's just just like not a factor, it, at least not on the island. Now there yeah. is a mainland, and like we still don't know a whole lot about mainlanders, but they're different than us mm-hmm. on Fenburn. When I think the one thing that we do know, at least as far as premise goes and stuff, that the uh, queen marries uh, in a mainlander. That's part of the whole thing. There's treatise, treaties, treatises. Treatise well, yeah, there's a political thing yeah, to it, with, not just religious. Yeah, exactly. So she will always supposedly marry a uh, mainlander. and Which uh, seems to be a world similar to our own where it's more of a it's more of a male dominated society correct and yeah and there's mention of that there's no gifts outside of the island the no they don't have magic. The naturalism the elementalism the poisoner ism <laughs> is a lot of isms <laughs> um but but yeah but there are actually some really important male characters who are in it too um definitely who, yeah play a lot of roles and they're great if you wanted to mention any of them specifically. Well, but, Jules, Jules' boyfriend. Yeah. Or fiance. Yeah. Jules' man. Jules' kind of other half. Joseph Sandrin. Um, he's a, he is, I think, a really interesting character. I think sometimes he takes up the space that you often let the female love interest take up in these stories. Very much so. Yeah, I mean, but, very much so. He He's kind of swept along with the story. He doesn't drive any of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but in the but you still you see him and you would think of him as being a fully fleshed out character though. He's he's not lacking in any way. I would say that's true for Joseph for mm-hmm. sure. The other character I would just want to mention because I really dug her was her name's Luca. She's the high priestess of the temple. She's the oh, one. Yeah. All of these queens are fostered by kind of the strongest families in their their societies. But the the temple has sort of taken over, like we said before, Mirabella's rearing. There is a family that she's fostered with who she thinks of very much as her family. There's a, a foster sister she has who she's very close to. And but it and, is like Luca's like her mom. Yeah, Luca's sort of. She's. They say it several times. Luca is very old, so um, she's definitely more of a grandmother figure, which also works out. Um, but she's also kind of her closest confidant. Now, that's not to say that Luca is an entirely um, soft grandma makes yeah. the cookies yeah. figure. She's <laughs> like not. altruistic. And she's yeah. always got the wheels turning. She's always got kind of an agenda. But with that, she also loves Mirabella. She so. has a huge responsibility and a really big job where you cannot divide church and state. You cannot. It's, it's complicated. It, yeah, and I think that that's something that comes through too. And Zeta, we mentioned this before we started uh, the show. <laughs> in this particular society, religion is in no way theoretical. It is no. not based on faith. <laughs> no. It is a very real it is very practical. It is um, visceral. It is in your face. Part of everyday life. There is no denying that there is the goddess and this is her right. spot. And there's not like, oh, some people believe this and yeah, worship it, this god. No. No. I no, mean, you do not. The fact that every generation, like these triplets with black hair and black eyes are born and they will inevitably, <laughs> two of them will ki- or be killed by the other and she will reign for like 50 years before she has her trip. Like, come on. There's a lot of really hard evidence for a theological. <laughs> yeah. You 
you just go here. with it. Yeah. yeah. So so Luca's Luca is sort of the lead of that. So she she's got a lot of kind of conflicting motivations too. And so I just I like her and then I love that they put age on her too. So no matter what she feels, she always kind of takes everything with a grain of salt because she's lived long enough to know that there's just not absolute right or absolute wrong. That doesn't deter her necessarily from her objective, which is to put Mirabella on the throne because she's all in at this point. She's thrown all of hers and the temple's chips on the table. There is no going back. One thing I love about this is that in the background of all of these people are sort of the side characters around the queens are all sort of kind of what Scott was talking about before. They have their own motivations and they have their own perspectives and they all have their own trajectories too. And it's always kind of some version of jostling for power and trying to get their queen on the throne, regardless of strength of gift or anything else. It just serves to make it a much more interesting and dynamic ecosystem for these characters (laughs) to all coexist in. I love it so much. It's a little Petri dish. It is. (laughs) I want to just also put something else out there. You guys, these book covers are beautiful. Oh, oh man. Yeah, yeah. They are Talk to me. good looking book covers, you guys. They are. Turn they're, your head. They're beautiful. Um, definitely for me, these were the type of books I wanted to own in physical copy because I think they're beautiful. I did manage to get a signed copy of the second book, too, <gasps> which was huge. I mean, it was just sitting there in the store, and I was like, Scott, Scott, we must buy this. It is signed. And you had no objection from me. (laughs) Yeah. And also, when I'm in the mood to read fantasy, what I call it is I need to read me a good book with a beautiful map in the front. Oh, yeah. You need a map in the front, and that sets the tone when you're in a fantasy mood. Don't you guys think this has a good map? If you don't care enough to make a map... Why? Why are you writing the book? Why do you even show up? <laughs> I mean, when you're when you're playing a role playing game, that's the first thing you do is you draw a map. You create your map of your world. You gotta Aww. know where you are. You it, gotta know where you are. <laughs> it, 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 you have to for fantasy. You're absolutely right. And it's really beautiful too. Just like the covers are beautiful, the map is beautiful. <laughs> On a less superficial note, the writing style. Mm -hmm. These were my first books by Kendara Blake. Uh, Will not be my last. I 100% think that for me, she's going to be an autobi author, and I want to read her back catalog. I've heard great things about some of her other books. She actually writes like kind of a YA horror uh, books as well, Anna Dressed in Blood. Anna Dressed in Blood, which is just look at that title. Yeah, that's (laughs) sick. And that's been on my list for a long time. I think she is a great writer. She writes really descriptively but not super wordy (laughs) one thing that i like this is you know we all kind of have our weird little things about books that we love i love when a writer can describe food (laughs) and she this girl can write food you guys every meal She's always telling you what they're eating, and she makes it sound like the most delicious, interesting thing, mm-hmm. uh, and if, especially for the poisoners, because poisoners eat tainted food and drink. Yeah. And even when she's things. describing the way that the poisoned food tastes, which doesn't sound appetizing, it still makes your mouth water a little bit. You can... You can taste it. You can taste it. You can see it. You can smell the things in her book. Oh, yeah. um, hugely into her. I'm into you, Miss <laughs> Blake. I'm into you. Um, 
what did you guys think about her writing style? Yeah, I mean, the, well, especially with the poisoners, because their whole thing is feasts. Because because the fact is that they just cannot be killed by any kind of toxins. They kind of gluttons. They they are kind of gluttons, which lends even more credence to, well, Catherine really is weak because she's this little slip of a thing. Um, and they're obviously people who take a lot of strength from, from literally what they consume. And when she writes about their feasts, which I'm going to say this wrong, but they, they call the poisoner feasts, especially for the queen or maybe only yeah. for the queen. I want to say the, the gave noir. That's how I say it is either the gave or the gov noir yeah it's i don't actually read latin so i'm not 100 <laughs> sure on that the black feast yeah yeah exactly exactly and, and so like it's super important so yeah she describes all these dishes this thing soaked with henbane this thing that's like arsenic laced with a you know piquant <laughs> whatever <laughs> it, that's just awesome and, and just so descriptive and, and then the food too in wolf spring because oh, yeah, again yeah. it's you know they're they're by the sea they're they eat a lot of i think oysters and clams and and things like that stuff that comes oh, directly there's a few times when people are snacking on fried clams oh, which yeah. is one of my favorite <laughs> seafoods and i'm like stop it kendara stop it girl you know you can you tell that she actually likes fried clams in real life you can tell she knows she's on board with the fried clam yes yeah what that what that means i don't really remember what elementals eat they eat like clouds like <laughs> i think that they i think they do like a lot of i don't know like honey and buttered yeah. bread and yeah and they like drink that. like rainbows and wine <laughs> it's yeah, mostly yeah. a rainbow diet they're very svelte blake knows when to describe something and when not to and when she mm. chooses to describe something it's with the perfect amount of detail for the importance of it sometimes she'll describe in great detail what a character is wearing because it's important for the scene and it and it really does kind of complete the whole feeling. But then the rest of it doesn't matter what they're wearing. It doesn't matter what they look like or how they did their hair. And it's just so interesting because you can very much visualize. See, for me, it was clothing even more than the even more than the food. Which is shocking because Scott is a Taurus and a foodie. Oh, very much so. <laughs> I mean, I don't like way too much description in books, but I, I'd rather have none than too much. But she she knows exactly when to describe something. And, and she describes it in such great detail and very succinctly where you can absolutely still visualize it. Absolutely. And and, and again, the way that she sort of makes very distinct what each one of these uh, these elements of society wear, what they eat, like they're obviously, they're, they're, it's still cohesive. They're all still part of this not very huge island, but like the elementals they mentioned somewhere in there the uh, when they're going to buy dresses for Mirabella that, oh, well, that particular tailor had no sense of elemental movement at all. Everything is so tight and severe. And it's like, okay, so obviously if Elementals sort of, are flowy hippies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you move with the weather and the patterns, like you probably got more sort of silks and like kind of lightweight fabrics like, and stuff. Kind of like toga-y right. things. I, so I kind of thought maybe kind of an ancient Greek sort of influence there. That's sort of where I was going. Yeah, kind and of then, airy fairy people. Right. And then down back at Indra Down, the capital city where the they're, poisoners they're are, they're buttoned up and elaborate. They're severe. Like, yeah. it's tight buns in their hair and tight braids, and, and everything is worn very close to the chest, almost suffocating. Imagine that there's coarse corsets and bodices and things like that. And then with Wolf Spring, it's sort of like... 
jackets trousers yeah (laughs) yeah it's like they live off the land they're very much in tune with nature so like you're saying yeah that just sets this tone for kind of understanding the sort of character of what these cities these people are about it's delicious also as far as writing style i think this is a big one the way that she writes at least these books i don't know how she writes the rest of her catalog in this present tense it, I, I don't normally read a lot of books that are set in present tense, mm-hmm. but um, and I've, I've read some interviews or, you know, questions online that she's answered. And it's it's very specific because um, it I think she said that it lends an honesty to her characters. Um, there's no unreliable narrator there because it's happening in the moment. It's sort of happening without judgment. She sort of will say what somebody's thinking, which may or may not be true, but mm-hmm. it, it it's still just carrying you along with the story at kind of a breakneck pace. I think that also helps to make it a real page turner that's I'm, super cool i'm glad that you mentioned the present tense because i do typically have a problem with present tense it's just my own personal biases and that's why the first book started off difficult for me mm-hmm. uh it's not as bad as first person present tense which i actually i can't think of a book that i've read that i was able to wrap my head around that's my own problem but no i always go back to the catcher in the rye with that which was a struggle for me <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's one of Scott and I's favorite books. That's great. I mean, it's wonderful. And maybe I'm remembering it wrong. Maybe it's a past tense. No, you're book. you're all. Know. Everybody's got their things. A lot of people don't like it when books have multiple perspectives. Uh, yeah, but yes. um, mm-hmm. I think what we're all trying to say is she's a darn good writer. She's a darn good writer. <laughs> I like that you say that it adds a sense of honesty to it, because I agree with that. It's not, oh, this happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, which is what past tense tends to feel like. All of this has already happened. This is just someone telling you the story. Mm -hmm. This is literally, this is unfolding before you. It's critical. It's urgent. Um, I want to talk about appeal before we go to our spoiler break. So for me, I would say this is a broad appeal. Yeah, I think it's broad. I think a lot of different types of readers who obviously read fantasy could get into this. Broad appeal. What do you guys think? I want to say that the series has mass appeal. Uh, I think the characters are really special and really interesting, and I think so many people could get into them. But some of the fantasy themes are really strong, which I think will turn away the masses. So I I agree. I would put it in broad appeal, which is still great. I think... A lot of people would love this book. I do too. I, I actually initially had said it was more of a, a the step down. I think it was a uh, general mm-hmm. or yeah, general appeal. Um, just because I'm afraid that the fantasy element might throw a lot of people off if you're not generally interested in that. That I would advocate for anybody to kind of get past that because the magical powers that they have are not that's nothing that's not what the story's about the story's about the people and how they are kind of getting through this weird piece of their history it is plot driven but it's more character driven yeah for yeah. sure so you know whether they have gifts or they don't have gifts and there are a lot of people by the way on this island that are giftless um that it, that part Poor suckers I know, that would that would not be ideal um but uh that so i i I'd be afraid that people would be put off by that, but I would hope that they would see past that and just to get into a really good story. I think the characters are really what pushes it into that broad appeal category. Yeah. I agree because it's dangerous. There's fantasy and there's dark and murder. Those two things can really turn a lot of people off, mm-hmm. but I think the characters are important enough and special enough that it does overcome that. Well said, everybody. Well said. Um, 
audience, I hope we've enticed you to pick up these books if you have not yet. And when you do finish them, or if you already have finished the first two books, then you are ready for the spoiler section, which is going to come up after the break, where we're really going to break it down and talk about the uh, little meaty, delicious, tainted innards. Be back. So, all right, here we go. Enjoying the show? Please like and subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Genre Junkies. And don't forget to visit the website, genrejunkies.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are really excited to talk about the spoilers. So without further ado, let's get into it. So I think that we should probably start with the reveals of the end of the first book. Absolutely, because that is completely what the whole second book is about, right? Um, so, Arsenault and Catherine are in the wrong houses. What? No wonder they have no gifts. They do. They just have the wrong ones. <laughs> yeah, I oh, I hate to be this person. I really hate to be that person who's like, oh, I figured out the sixth sense in the first five minutes. <laughs> no, but, you didn't. No, yeah. but I, but I, that was my very first theory, like that Mirabella was so strong and that these two had no gifts. I was like, no, they're switched. They're absolutely switched. And... My my first thought of that was because of the little snake that Catherine has. Sweetheart. 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 And she talks about how, you know, and obviously she's communed with this animal. There is even a part after her first disastrous 16th birthday banquet when she just, you know, regurgitates all of this poison food and it's a huge Ugh. scandal and everything. It, she even says in there, like, the part that breaks her heart the most later on when she can't find her snake, that she wears this jewelry because that's something poisoners do, which Fucking is awesome. Badass. That she, even when she <laughs> fell and she knew that she hurt her, that she did not bite her. It's like, there's no way a snake doesn't bite when it's scared for its life unless it is your freaking familiar. Yeah. Cool <laughs> That's stuff. my theory. That's my theory. I'm really happy that you caught it. I totally didn't. I don't. Think- I didn't either. But yeah, I wasn't looking, but I didn't catch it. But when you catch everything. Yes. But when, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually, look, quick aside right here. She... What what movie were we watching? Table Table Nineteen. Oh, well, here's another spoiler about that movie. A, I, a character I, walks yeah. in and she's straight no scoped sniped. <laughs> oh, she has cancer. I looked at her like what? <laughs> and she I, was absolutely right. Hey, I besides being a genre junkie, I was raised on mysteries, mm-hmm. and we can deduce very well in our household. <laughs> oh yeah. Also, I don't know about this weird superpower I have, but I can tell from the first shot of whatever season it is if a female actor on screen on a television series is pregnant and they're trying to hide it. Yeah. I can tell from the very first <laughs> shot. I will turn to my husband or whoever I'm watching with me like, oh, she's pregnant. Yeah. Just wait. Just wait. You're not going to see a single shot of her below the chest. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's going to be from a distance or from behind. I guarantee it. That's hilarious. Um, so I'm sorry. I, I, I digress. <laughs> I, I did sorry. not call it, but there are plenty plenty of hints in there once you realize the reveal it absolutely earned that reveal yeah and when you go back and look at stuff you start to look at arsenal and who she is and at first like i said before it seems that she really typifies sort of the spirit and the energy of wolf spring and these people but the more you look at who she is you're like that chick is a poisoner well as the story goes on yeah exactly 
once you start once you know the reveal and you go back and look at it like she's she's never cruel but she's always hard the, the fact that when you find out well yeah it's because she can ingest any kind of poison and just keep on trucking in fact love it um you're like wow actually you just imagine i mean we can get to it but if she had been raised by the errands in indra down there would be no she would be the queen she would yeah. be the there queen. would be no she would question have, she would have no conscience which is what she got from living with this you know wonderful loving family yeah. and having jewels by her side and then their bond and their loyalty to each other and like kind of being a human person yeah she would never have gotten any of that it would have been all about power and control which is something that she already has she has extraordinary control so like whoa that would have been too much <laughs> before we talk about Catherine's spoilers some more spoilers about arsenault something that i really liked a dark turn that these books take with her is that she starts practicing that low magic which is the typified fairy tale magic of like it is always a price right right there's going to be a twist you're going to have to pay the piper something is going to go wrong with this mm -hmm. and i feel like it was a very real honest thing that she started turning to this desperate low magic the the low magic is really great because it's sort of the the old school witchcraft kind of thing it's it's the it's the we peasant. don't say witches on this they on, the, never on this do. island well th- there is some is reference, reference to witches wait, we, you do not refer to anyone as a witch right it, to the mainlander yeah, says to billy, that right billy, billy says yeah that. right because it's like derogatory and it's like that is you that word is not said on this island <laughs> not cool bro not cool <laughs> um the but no that it's blood magic it's very of the earth it's presented to Arsino too by uh, Jules's biological mother, and she says, you know, she spent some time on quote unquote the mainland. She says that's all they have there; they don't have any of the gifts. So everybody can, has to learn this kind of magic. And the thing is that that kind of magic is really drawn forth from the the heartbeat of the island, from kind of the reality of the goddess as kind of land incarnate the, the well, goddess isn't like this you, ephemeral spirit and it's this the give, land. this giveth and this taketh away and that everything in life is not wonderful and you know always um gorgeous there's another side to every light there's a dark and everything scott what did you think about her crazy feral ass bear that showed up the first one the like well, yeah, not practically Braddock. undead one mm-hmm. was so scary again when they're talking about the way that he smelled he smelled like a corpse and because it's a weird broken ass spell they're using yeah it 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 was scary it was honestly scary yeah especially because as they approach it arsenault really in her little deluded brain because she's had a dream about him the night before thinks that it's her familiar because she hasn't yet figured out that she's a poisoner right that happens by accident and so they they get way closer than they should to this weird zombie bear and that's when she gets attacked and she gets some really badass scars on her face and then she wears a mask which the scars are badass and the mask is badass if you ask me oh yeah it is what did you guys think of Catherine's twist. So after her <laughs> lover slash um, tutor uh, guy decides like, oh Pietro. my god, I can't like let her go on. Uh, and he pushes her into the Brecchia domain. I'm gonna say Brecchia. I don't know if that's what it uh, is. Yeah, I, I struggle with that and I finally just started saying Brecchia in my head. Um, well, so we'll go with Brecchia. Um, and then she crawls her way out and it is a different Catherine that emerges. As I described it to Scott, she is possessed mm-hmm. to me in like the horror sense because it's like 
sometimes when when people are possessed, <laughs> um, she's possessed by this really, she's really the one I think of as legion cursed, because she's filled with all of these dead queens who are like, I should have been the damn queen. Like, they're not happy. And so like, when her fresh meat fell in, they were like, Oh, my God, you guys. Oh, my God, girls, this is our chance. Everybody jump in to this clown car of a human. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. But so then, okay, they, so everybody jumps in, and there's flashes of Catherine being like real Catherine because she's still kind of like Ew, like under the surface there, but um, she's really burdened down with all these women's spirits in yeah, her, the spirits of all these dead and forgotten queens, and she is harsh. She is kind of evil. It's great. She's cruel. She's bloodthirsty. She is not anything like the Catherine that she was before. But that Catherine is still in there. And she sometimes resurfaces, but it's just inevitably she gets drawn back down to the bottom and this darker version of her comes back up. And I mean, I I want to believe, because I really do like Catherine a lot, and I like evil Catherine, I like good Catherine, that she's going to come out of this and she's going to be strong and she's not going to be meek anymore. Uh, Scott, tell us about what you think about Catherine's uh, change. Well, I think it's really sad because I liked Catherine very much. To me, it really is like the character did die at the end of the first book. And yes, I know she's still inside of there, but she's not the same. So, I mean, even though that she's alive. It's sad for you. You're sad. the, the The character is dead. The character is gone. It, but it's such a great twist because really what the bo- what the book needed was one of the sisters to become the bad guy. That's true because Mirabella gets from from the very beginning you realize that uh, you know unlike what's supposed to happen she remembers being a little girl and loving her sisters and having all those wonderful childhood memories yeah. with them and she cannot kill them like Even, she yeah. cannot i know kill that Manda, you had to as an older sister oh. i know you had to really relate to mirabella in this book um she becomes so much more personable and likable i mean like not that she's unlikable but kind of the twist with her character is that she really like she's wise and she's good but she really is just a person too like you know she's not like I don't know, somebody who's already like, I'm ready to rule. Like, I don't know. She doesn't have that about her. She has a lot of, she has a lot of feelings. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, she's really on, on a certain level. She's the most, in my opinion, like recognizable, relatable character, at least for me. I mean, <laughs> that might just be more telling about me. She's not a murderer. <laughs> like, No, she's you're, not. You're yeah. supposed to be as a queen. You're supposed to just naturally do it. I want to, I don't know if it's Catherine or Arsenault. Now I'm thinking it might've been Catherine who makes mention to somebody when they're kind of explaining hey you know hey what about this whole killing your twin sisters triplet sisters what's up with that they're like well the thing is we're sort of the arm of the goddess we're not considered to be regular people therefore killing us us killing each other doesn't count as murder and it's like like, oh that's a trip that's a trip for me so yeah, that Mirabella just cannot do it. She's she's just, they say she's gentle-hearted or soft-hearted. I mean, she's just also kind of normal. Like, she's just not willing <laughs> to kill her sisters. Crazy, right? Right. And then there's Arsinoe, who I don't think she ever really thought she'd be in the position to kill her sisters. So she's never really given a lot of thought about it, besides kind of on an academic level. Um, and then Catherine, same thing. And they talk about how Catherine was their little sister always. She was the sweet. She was the soft one. And they took care of her. You know, Arsinoe was the strong one and Mirabella was the leader. And uh, so none of them are actually 
really dark enough to kill any either of the other two. None of them are like how the queens are supposed to be. I'm. It's very Highlander. There can be only one. That's yeah. That's the thing. None of them are actually fulfilling what they're supposed to do. Oh, but so when Catherine comes back, like you were saying, that one of them had to make the jump to actually being a menace. Like, it can't just be these secondary characters all jostling for political power. Like, at some point, one of them's going to have to grow teeth. Well, and there are moments of of misinformation to the other characters, like when Arsinoe's bear gets out of control or really Jules sends her after Mirabella. Because Jules got a temper, doesn't yeah, she? Yes, she does. <laughs> because and she's Legion Curse. She's Legion she Curse. <laughs> but Mirabella then becomes ready to kill Arsinoe because Arsinoe is clearly not the sister that she thought she was. She's like, this bitch is crazy. But what I appreciate about these books is they doesn't it is she doesn't rely on those misinformations to drive an entire plot of a book or an entire character arc. Yes. It it drives part of the plot for a few chapters, but then like normal human beings or maybe intelligent women, they finally have a conversation and say, hey, here's what's real. And then they move on from I, it. I love uh-huh. that you said that's so freaking true. It's like, hey, hold on. Let me just think about this for a minute. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Um, Yeah. <laughs> so let's get down to the brass tacks here. I like that um, the second book got even more political and with people's agendas and with certain high priestesses needing to make very hard decisions. Oh, yeah. Which I, I do... Like, when you were talking about Luca in the first half, I looked at Scott and I spit, like, I spit on your name, Luca. She's not bad. She, but I can't say she did the right decision, though. No, I I think she makes the wrong decisions for some of the right reasons. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Uh, it's hard because somewhere along the way, the goddess's will did get somewhat corrupted by the priestesses and by the errands because, like you said, you shouldn't. You can't second guess the goddess. The goddess is clearly real in this story. You can't second guess the magic. You can't second guess how things are supposed to be. There's always triplet daughters. They're, they're, that's the way it's supposed to be. But somewhere along the line, it did get corrupted. They're making up rules. They're making up stories. They're making up history to continue power. Mm-hmm. So, so what parts of it are real? And it's not. It's not unreliable narration, but it is a little bit of unreliable history. Well, and I think this is kind of my prediction for where the books are going. I think that the goddess is, I mean, it's like fatalistic. She set all of these things in motion, made all of these people have these decisions because the slate needs to be wiped clean because it's gotten polluted. Yeah, I, I, I mean, they even, they she pretty much, I, I don't know how she's going to do everything in it, but she's very much the authors forecast what's going to happen. This is the story of the end of Fenburn, or at least as we know it. Right, because Jules, being this Legion-cursed person, is destined to bring down... Bring about the fall of the island. That's, yeah. that's what the that's what the Oracle tells her mother, Magical, when she's born, and that's one of the reasons why they bind her war gift and, and never tell her about it, and just be like, oh, maybe it'll be fine. When if they're really following the rules of this kind of laid-out religion, they should let it be. They should let these Mm -hmm. cards play out. Well, and I think I want to say I forget who who mentioned it before. But when we were saying that, you know, each well, each one of these gifts has a dark side and a light side, if if you will. Um, The poisoners are also healers. The elementals can I think they say they can burn down a forest or they can water, you know, the crops. Um, The uh, elemental or the excuse me, the naturalists 
they they make these orchards burst into bloom and get food for everybody, but they also charm the fish and the crabs and everything into their nets with, you know, <laughs> pulling them in, you would think, out of some sort of a siren song. So so both of these things have, have, have good and bad, and it's like all of that's been messed up. The yes. war gift is completely gone. Well, the warriors are also protectors. Yeah, but, we shouldn't have gotten rid of yeah. the war gift. The war gift is important, mm-hmm. and, and they're badass. There are still warriors, Ro, we'll take about her maybe. <laughs> but um but the and then the oracles, they still exist too. I think the next book we're gonna go to Oracle City to kind of see what's gonna happen. Well, and everyone talks about through the book, you can't interfere with the Beltane. You can't interfere with the queens and them killing each other, but all they do, they don't interfere as far as they they well, they do kind of try to kill other queens, but really they interfere the entire way. Right. It's like you're doing it wrong. You set out what the rules are and you're doing it wrong. It's more like they don't want to get caught interfering, right? Yeah. I think that's that's the part that makes it even more interesting is that these are real people doing what history has shown real people will do. They will do whatever they need to to achieve their own ends, even if paying lip service to the rules. I think one of the interesting things, too, and I'm not sure, I think Willa, the old midwife who delivered... Our three gals. Cool chick. Yeah, um, she's cool. And uh, clearly she was a poisoner because she says it straight out. She also says straight out that their mother, Queen Camille, the previous queen, switched Arsenault and Catherine by choice. It's been a while since I read that part. I know part of it was because, at least as far as Willa is concerned, Mirabella was the chosen queen anyway, and Camille knew that, supposedly. That, and so that's it didn't the really, story. That's yeah. what she feels. Right. Yeah, and it doesn't. And so she switched the other two. And I, I, I think what they were saying was that because had the poisoners had another strong poisoner queen, then they might have, have disrupted Mirabella's chances of actually getting there. And I think... Camille, because she was raised with the uh, poisoners, but it's said by Natalia several times she wasn't really a very good poisoner. She she wasn't strong with her gift, and she really wasn't particularly cruel either. She wasn't a really good Aaron. <laughs> I think maybe she just she was feeling like it was time for a change, or maybe she was communing with the goddess who was saying it's time for a change. We need to bring more balance to this island again. To the force. To the force. Um, always comes back to that. Always comes back to the force. Uh, I, I really just, I kind of want to just talk briefly about what faction is your favorite and like which one do you guys think you would be in? I, I love asking questions like that. For me, I love animals. As we all know, I'm a huge animal person, especially cats. So there's part of me that's like, yeah, of course I'd be a naturalist because I like the way that they live in harmony with the earth and I like the way that they have their animals. But <laughs> as I said earlier, my my little sparkly black heart longs for the poisoners. I love them. I think they are just gorgeous and I want to be one when I grow up. There's this great quote by Kendara Blake. Telling me your favorite sister is like revealing your Hogwarts house. It says a little something about you. (laughs) (laughs) She's so great. She's so great. She's so in touch with nerdism and just culture. I love it. Um, For me, I I think think my, my faction, my favorite would be the naturalists. I like that they're just so raw. That they're not trying to, they're not trying to impress anybody, <laughs> right? Like, especially Grandma Kate, who's the matriarch of her particular Another family. Another badass. Is it? She's she's tough. She's strong. She's very loving, but she just doesn't give any, you know, concern toward what other people think. And of course, I'm just intoxicated by the elemental powers. Who doesn't like fire and lightning? Like that's pretty cool. And the poisoners are awesome too. But my heart, I think, lies with the naturalists. Force lightning. Go on, Scott. (laughs) I'm definitely a naturalist. I I love the elementalists, and that's what I want to be. (laughs) 
Uh, the poisoners are really unique, but they're not at all me. <laughs> I, I, I am a naturalist. I would probably have a rooster you'd be, you'd, or... You'd be a fish charmer. Yeah, or an otter or something as a familiar. That'd and, be an awesome familiar. That would be a great familiar. Yeah, only you'd have to like say goodnight every night because you're not going to go sleep out in the ocean with yeah, the otter. Yeah, but you live on a boat. The otter, the otter can, come out, a boat. can come out of land. It's not like the otter breathes water. <laughs> Not a fish. Water <laughs> breather. Uh, I suppose that's true. What and other? We'd hold hands oh. while we slept, so we wouldn't drift away from each other. Oh, oh yeah, that's what otters do. That's what otters do. You guys, otter cuddle party. Oh. What other spoilers or predictions do you guys see coming forth? Well, one thing I wanted I wanted to talk about in the spoiler section is particularly about the very end of the second book when you start to see the the male power from the mainland start to really show up you know once Catherine does get married to a mainlander he totally turns around and he becomes a very typical forceful man he's Mm -hmm. also a little psychotic (laughs) yes yes which we knew that before and it's it's those possessive uh, mean queens in her clown car that are (laughs) that are attracted to him it's not Catherine herself she's in love with peter and then william chatworth who is the big merchant power of the mainland who is kind of being controlled throughout the first two books by the Aaron's. Mm-hmm. Well, then he start. he really shows his true colors as a mainlander, as a, as a man and becomes violent and becomes controlling. And of course gets murdered for it. Thank God. But Oh, beautifully, you, beautifully murdered. When I say that it, that it was a subtle realization of just how important that it is that this is a matriarchal society. That's what I mean is it really only is until the, it isn't until the end of the second book when they really start to show the other side, mm-hmm. the more typical male characters. And I think we're going to yeah. see a lot more of that in the third book. And now two of our um, girls are on the mainland, too. Yeah, well, and so I I wanted to make mention about the mainland. So this is just kind of a question that I have. Please. I'm I'm not even sure how much I'm putting on this, but I want to say the mainland. Now, Billy flat out says, don't say the mainland when he's talking to Arsenault. Don't say that. Like, there are lots of lands. Basically, anything that's not Finburn is called the mainland, and it's always been that way, and it will always be that way. That's Arsenault's direct thought pattern. But... I have a little wonder in my head if the mainland isn't actually a modern Western land because there's actually, I think this, it might have just been a mistake on the part of the author or whatever. It might have just been a little fluke. But when Billy sees Kara, is that her name? Aunt Kara, who's the one who's been banished to the Black Cottage. When he sees her, he says, it's like looking at a photo of Grandma Kate 20 years ago. Oh. He says it's like looking at a photo. And they don't mention photos anywhere else that maybe, yeah, if it's this not. This is not a world that has photography. Yeah, if <laughs> they, they deal with tapestries. They don't even have paintings. <laughs> well, they do have printers. They do have like Xerox machine sort of thing. Like some sort of copy. Well, they have a printing press. Some kind press. of copying printing press. Because remember, they, they talk about the Making posters flyers. that she puts all over. They they reproduced her her signature. 
Well, and it's very possible. I suppose, but I mean, that could yeah. have been forged, though, but, too. But we're not talking photography. You're right. right. I wonder. It's different. But, well, yeah, they're yeah, not. I mean, that could be true. They're too. not completely devoid of technology. That's yeah. a really good catch, Amanda. Well, and if it's That's well, not that really threw me. Good I was catch. like, photo, photo. And even if it is not their us, they clearly um, have more advancements and they embrace and advancements more well and it's almost like they they don't want to talk about what the mainland is like billy it's almost seems like he's under orders not to talk about the differences joseph comes back and it's like he's thrown by how different and weird fenburn is i mean it's home and he's happy to come back but he sees the cougars like oh and he's like oh oh wait oh that's right i i forget it's like I'm so I'm not sure. I feel like she's kind of left the door open that she can make the mainland be anything she wants it to be. Are it you- could just be Fenburn level technology with just no big magics or it could be anything else including Mid- a super I feel, forward thinking I feel one. like what you're saying is that this is going to be like the village that movie the <laughs> Shyamalan movie well, I kind of felt like maybe that's where they're going because the whole thing of like they even say there's not very many families on the mainland anymore who remember that we're here and have any interest in it that's why there are fewer and fewer suitors every generation and that's why William Chatworth Jr. or excuse me William Chatworth the, the bad guy the dad is is like so uh, dedicated to getting his son on the throne as the king consort because he wants that poisoner power so he can take out his enemies and nobody would have any freaking idea what was going on if it were the modern world there'd be no like oh it's probably it's, <laughs> arsenic it's, it's probably poison it's hen's bane. like that's yeah. not the way things work anymore in our world so uh, at least I don't think so. Well, there are still people that get poisoned, but I I get what you mean. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, as far as a political thing goes. Anyway, so it just, it sort of got my wheels turning, being like, she could do that. She could do that. And she's laid groundwork for that to be justifiable. Or she could not. And that's fine. Well, either way, it's going to be culture shock for our girls. Mm-hmm. And that's they're um, they're kind of in an abyss part of the journey too because they're um, they're kind of on their own. Like they're they're losing some of their core protectorate group around them. Mm-hmm. They're the whole party. Like Jules is not going. She gets like sucked back into the island because she's like, I'm not supposed to go. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and as soon as she leaves, that's when the the mist dissipates, and that's when Ars Snow says something or thinks something along the yeah. lines of, "It's almost as if she was the one the island was trying to keep." close all that time yeah um but here's another question as far as the island goes this is the first time that arsenal and madrigal go to the bent over tree to do low magic um they're going they're walking through uh some rock formations and it says some are natural and some are monoliths from back when the island was truly old and wore a different name i remember that part too and i thought that was very interesting avalon tell me this is avalon (laughs) it could be sort of avalonian or it could be something totally different a legend i'm not familiar with or it could be something that she just sort of planted to let your imagination sort of blossom and doesn't necessarily come up again right it's just it's just really a beautiful um thought that there's so much history to this island I too. Know. That's the thing. It's like, what was the previous name? And they talk about how basically everything has gone so far afield from what it was supposed to be on this island and that the legends say that the goddess used to be all over the world and that slowly it shrunk up and there's this beautiful quote somewhere in the book. I should 
pull it up, but it's basically that the goddess is no longer present maybe in the rest of the world. It's like she's curled up into a ball and she's just a beast waiting under the, the surface it's kinda like to wake a, up again. Like Moana. God, that's what I thought I would do. I'm like, it's Taka. Yeah, uh, spoiler alert if you're like one of the only two people on this planet who've not seen that glorious movie. Uh, Scott, you look like your mind's a little blown. It absolutely is. I'm just so glad to finally talk about this with you because I, I, mind blown. Uh, you know what? I think it might be Avalon. I kind of had that same thought, particularly the mists that surround it. Uh-huh. You can't get to it unless you know it's there and you can't get out unless it wants you to. Thank you, Marion Zimmer Bradley. Thank you uh, for that book. But I guess we shouldn't thank her for too much. Oh. She's not very popular these days. I'm not necessarily a fan. I'm just saying thank you for <laughs> I'm the a title. and certainly a fan of the book. The cover art is great. Yeah. So that's really all I Big want to say. Big fan of the book. <laughs> okay, well... I want to talk a little bit more about our final ratings on this. I feel like we, well, I mean, obviously, we all really enjoyed this book. <laughs> I want you guys to give me how many crowns out of 10 would you rate this book? And a little kind of final thoughts on it. Well, I think that so far, this series is perfect. On its face, it's a compelling story with uh, fascinating jump out of the page characters But going deeper, there are incredible themes exploring self-identity, feminism, nature versus nurture, but woven so delicately throughout the story that it kind of sneaks up on you, like I said, gradually. So at least in my my male perspective, as you (laughs) said, so I I, I 100% give it 10 out of 10 crowns. Wow, that is high crown praise, Amanda. Oh, I'm right there. I am right there. It is 10 crowns. Thank you very much. I think it would be worth revisiting once the series is kind of complete, as far as Ms. Blake goes, mm-hmm. um, to kind of see where it goes. And if I, I still kind of hold it up as high, but after two books, I am all in, people. <laughs> this is yeah. great. This is great. I'm with you guys to an extent. I'm actually going to be a little bit contrary. Um, and though I really love these books, I love this world that she's built. I am not a huge, huge fan of all of the romantic relationships in this book. I feel like they. Um, what? I feel like they. <laughs> I feel like they get a little wonky at times for me. But what I keep coming back to is that these characters are young. They're teenagers. That's so, true. So, I mean, I can't expect them to have these completely 100% healthy and balanced relationships. That's always the the wonderful thing about reading about young characters is you have to give them room to be flawed. And, well, I mean, older characters, too, but to be figuring it out while they're going through this really big um trial in their lives. So... Anyway, like I could hear, I could hear, and I've heard some arguments about not loving all of the romantic stuff in these books, but I am <laughs> going to give it nine and three quarters crowns, <laughs> just to go back to that old uh, Ed McMahon nonsense. Nine and th- or platform nine and three quarters crowns. Hey. Um, hey, I do love it. I like I said, she's become an auto buy author for me. Books are beautiful. Well, thank you guys. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Amanda, thank you for being here because you have read so much fantasy. So you have really cool perspective on a lot of things. And you've read a lot of like the big old school kind of fantasy series that are out there, too. Um, So thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's so much fun to talk with you guys. It's It's been so awesome to have you here. Thank you so much. 
And thank you guys for listening. Did you love these books? Don't forget to pop by our Instagram and tell us about it. Did you hate these books and you think that uh, we're completely deluded in our love affair with uh, Kendara Blake? Ah, you can tell us that too. Just be a little kind, I guess. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it. I hope you all are having a good November. And please remember to keep reading past your bedtime. chair too i know i'm, I'm letting you i'm letting squeaky. you know while i'm letting you know while we're kind of in a pause i know but you're fidgeting in it which is making it worse <laughs> like so put your little feet down <laughs> <laughs> we could switch chairs <laughs>